Hi to all our listeners. This is Coach Chelsea, the host of the Servant Leader Coaches Bible Study, a place where athletes, coaches, and athletic professionals come together to talk about faith, sports, and servant leadership. We hope that this podcast blesses you. If there's anything we could do for you, please find us at the Chelsea F on Twitter, at Chief Friend John, C H E F R A N J O H N on Instagram and streaming live at Chelsea F. Muir on Facebook. We pray that you continue to be blessed and continue to serve as God would ask us to. All right, guys, I want to thank you uh, again for tuning in to another episode of the Servant Leader Coaches Bible Study. Um, I, I'm so excited about this one. I try not to make sure we don't make any other coaches and leaders that have come on before our speaker today jealous, but we have today Damon West. And just a quick overview with this, um, got hip to you by paying attention to other teams that have reached out to you. And your story just really inspired me. Uh, when I reached out to you, his first thing was like, hey, guys, I want you to know more about me first, right? So I need you to read my book to really get in tune with my mission. And then let's talk. Um, I got on that. Uh, and, and I say this because young people that are listening, athletes, coaches, and even my peers that are listening, you can't make you can't make a request and not be willing to do the work. And so I was so glad that I did because I'm so excited about this conversation. I'm so inspired about the man that you are author, motivational speaker, and criminal justice professor, and so much more. We have Damon West here today. Uh, one of the top books, The Coffee Bean, which has pushed me to reach out to you. I'm super excited, man. I thank you for coming on today. And I don't want to prolong the time because I'm excited. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you. But thank you so much for joining us today. Chelsea, thank you so much for having me on. But, but more importantly, two things. Thank you for having the courage to ask the question about having somebody on that, that to me right there, when I, when someone does that reaches out to me like that, I want to reward that. I want to be part of that because I, I do the same thing in my life. And that's kind of how I got where I am with other coaches <clears throat> because I just reached out and had the courage to ask. And I tell people all the time, never be afraid to ask, but you also did the next step. You did the work, you know, you got to put in the work. And so my simple request to do a podcast is, Hey, look, just check out my, my book because um, it'll tell you the story, you know, give it, make us have a much more informed conversation today. Because as you read in the change agent, which ended in 2018, and so much has happened since then, but there's so many layers to this story. I mean, there's, you know, there's a story about, you know, addiction and, and incarceration. There's a story about redemption. There's a story about how, what addiction does to a family. But there's also a social justice threat to this thing. There's story, the story, my story touches on racism in America. I mean, it's something universities bring me in to talk to entire athletic departments about this stuff. So in the U.S. Army brings me in to talk about racism in America. A white guy, me, you know. But if you read the book, then you understand why. And so that's why we're here to talk today, because now you're going to have some questions for me that you wouldn't have if you didn't read the book. So thank you, Chelsea. Thanks for putting in Absolutely. the work. Absolutely. Thank you. So guys, um, I'm just going to kind of give you an overview. And if you can, uh, Damon, if you could kind of give the, those who didn't have the opportunity and trust they will, uh, when we get off of this and just your infectious spirit, can you just kind of give these young people and these coaches um, a look into your journey? Um, we have athletes on here. We have coaches on here, um, speakers that will always listen. Talk to us about how you started as a college quarterback. Okay. Take us through that journey. Um, of, you know, of course, life happens. I tell them all the time, life happens to everybody. Take us through those journeys of how life happened to you. And then as you spoke about change agent in in 2018, and a lot has happened just from 2018 to 2020, and we're about to be in 2021, and kind of lead us down that timeline. Growing up in Port Arthur, my dad was the first sports writer in this part of Texas to put black athletes on the front page of a sports page. The first time he ever did it was 1971, it was a running back by the name of Joe Washington. Joe went on to play pro football, but back then you couldn't put black athletes in the front page of sports page, but my dad was the first one to do it. And, and when he did that, people down here lost their minds. I mean, they, they broke his windows out. They slid his tires. Uh, they sent him a bunch of hate mail. My father saved that hate mail. And growing up, he had my older brother, my younger brother and I read that hate mail. He wanted us to see what it was like 
to take a stand and do the right thing in life. And sometimes taking a stand means you got to stand alone. And so we learned that lesson. Look, I had great parents. My point to the story is this. I didn't come from a broken home. I didn't come from a disadvantaged background. I had every advantage, every privilege that a kid could have growing up. But I had some issues growing up. I got into substance abuse at a young age. I was a really good athlete, so I got a scholarship. to play quarterback at the University of North Texas. And so I played college football, a Division I quarterback, got hurt. After I got hurt, I graduated college. I went on to work in Congress. I worked for a guy running for president of the United States. And when he dropped out of the race in 2004, I moved back to Dallas to train to be a stockbroker for one of the biggest Wall Street banks in the world. And uh, it was at that job as a stockbroker, I was introduced to meth for the first time. And methamphetamines was one of those drugs. I mean, I, and I had been doing drugs for years, but this drug grabbed a hold of me and did not let go. And I, I lost everything for that drug. I, get, I became homeless. I uh, started breaking into people's, you know, storage units, storage units, people's cars, and eventually people's houses to fund my addiction. And these burglaries, they called them the Uptown burglaries, went on for three years in Dallas. And in 2008, a Dallas SWAT team finally arrested me. They finally took me down. They took me down and they had named me the Uptown Burglar. It was a very high profile case. And at the end of my time in county jail, at the after 10 months of being in county jail, I finally got my day in court. Actually, I got six days in court, which is a long criminal trial in the state of Texas. And uh, after six days, the jury went to deliberate for 10 minutes on my sentence, y'all. 10 minutes. I mean, I don't know how much law and order you watch, but if a jury's gone for 10 minutes, they smoked you. And when I came back in that courtroom, that judge said, you know, Damon Joseph West, you are hereby sentenced to 65 years in prison. 65 years is a life sentence, y'all. Now, obviously, I didn't do 65 years in prison. I did seven years and three months in a maximum security penitentiary in Beaumont, Texas, right down the road from where I grew up in Port Arthur. And the story we're going to hear about today is that journey between that rock bottom moment on May 18, 2009, and even beyond the day I walked out of prison, which was November 16, 2015, five years ago to the day almost from this podcast, the journey in between there and how I got there, Chelsea. You know, when I was reading the book, and it's so crazy because people know, like, I'm a nerd, all right? I, I conceal it a lot because I think I'm pretty cool, right? And so uh, when I read, it's never really leisure. It's very things like articles and things in science and all that or whatever. So, but I could not stop reading it. It was crazy. I, you know, I would make sure that I go to bed reading. I wake up and say, let me get a couple in here. My, my mission was to get it down packed. And I felt as if I literally was living through you. And, you know, I teach and I coach young people and I'm, you know, living in an area right now who every day, unfortunately, there are young people arrested because they are making choices that they don't recognize. They have so much potential on their lives. And so, of course, naturally, I was just enamored by your bounce back. And that's what I called it. Sometimes people travel down a road and one, they have a problem with even owning the things that they've done. And from start to finish in that book, it was never a blame on anyone. You place emphasis on that. You place emphasis on that today. I had parents. I had every opportunity, y'all, and I still did that. Can we talk a little bit about what you said to me? You said, Chelsea, you did the work. For the young people that are listening, for the coaches that are listening, for the athletes that are listening, can you talk a little bit and encourage them about one, seizing opportunity, Two, doing the work when asked, but three, even when they veer off to the left about how you can have that bounce back if you work for it. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good question. I mean, put in the work. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. It, it's like what I talk to people all the time right now, 2020 has been a very adverse year for most people. The, the adversity that everybody's dealing with is on a, a level that no one's seen before. I mean, we've never lived through a pandemic. No one alive can tell you what it's like to live through a pandemic and, and the, the choices that are being made right now by forces outside of what you control, but affects your life. But here's the deal. You've got four things you control in life. You control what you think, what you say, what you feel and what you do. And so once I got to a point in prison where I, I understood that this is the realm that I can operate in, then I could get up every day and work on myself. It was, a, there was a cellmate that I had named Carlos and Carlos told me that you have to change the way you think if you want to change the way you act. And all action is born of thought. And he gave me a riddle. Chelsea, he said, three frogs are sitting on a log. One of the frogs makes the decision to jump. 
He said, how many frogs are left on the log? And I'm a smart college guy, so I told him two. He said, wrong. He said, three. All three frogs are still sitting in the log because the frog that made the decision to jump didn't take any action to jump. And that action right there is where it's at. And that's when Carlos told me, if you want to if you want to become that coffee bean, if you want to change the way you know your life is, you have to quit looking at prison as a punishment and start looking at prison as an opportunity. And that's the that's the mindset shift. That's what's going to separate you know those that can do from those that say they can't do something. Is is the, the ones that look at any adversity and say, you know what, this is going to be hard. This is going to be difficult. I may fail at several attempts at doing this, but there's an opportunity in here somewhere. And if I keep fighting and keep getting up every day. And that's when I'm going to find it. You know, Mr. Jackson, who I'm sure we're going to hear about at some point, you know, I don't want to give too much away about Mr. Jackson. He's coming up. I can see Chelsea's going to be asking me about Jackson. And she, and she better be. She read that book. That's, I know that's coming. But Mr. Jackson was another guy I met in Dallas County Jail. And he gave me a very important lesson in life. He said, you don't have to win all your fights, but you do have to fight all your fights. That's one of the most important lessons in life. I remind myself that of every single day, Chelsea, because you're going to lose your fight sometimes. Some days you're going to lose. Some days you're going to wake up and you know when you leave the house, it's going to be chaos. You were going to lose some days, but you got to go anyway. You know, I was last month, I was at this U.S. Army base in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. And, and they, we had it set up that I would go speak and train, mindset training. Now, think about this, Chelsea. I've been out of prison for five years, but I'm going to train the troops in the United States Army now of mindset training. And, and training how to deal with adversity. And I told the, the Lieutenant Colonel and the General, if I'm gonna be there for five days, then I wanna get out there and go through basic training with these troops. And they're like, man, you don't have to do that. You're, you know, you're a trainer. No trainers good get in and do that. We've never heard of that before. And I said, but I wanna do it because I wanna earn the respect. If I'm willing to do, if I'm willing to put in the work and do what they do every day, then they may be willing to do what I do every day. And I'm gonna tell you something, Chelsea, it worked. I mean, like, they were so surprised. They were, they were shocked. They're like, man, it works so well. And one of the things I did, we actually had, I went through combat drills, those big sticks with pads on them. So we had those drills one morning. So I got out there and they sized me up with someone comfortable. I mean, I'm 45 years old too, Chelsea. So they, they sized me up, this little 20 year old, close to my same size. Well, I beat this dude. And I'm shocked. Chelsea. I'm shocked that I beat this dude. I stay in pretty good shape, but man, he's 20 years old, right? But after that fight, you know, I took my helmet off and I said, all right, y'all, I'm going to teach y'all a lesson about life. And this is about putting in the work and it's about getting up every day and knowing that some days you're not going to win your battles in life, but you got to pick, you got to go out there and fight them anyway. And that's when I said, who's the biggest, baddest guy in this room? I mean, and they all screaming, they're all screaming. They all pointed to the one to this big giant white dude, man. And I said, man, get out here on the floor now. Let's go. I mean, they were shocked. They're like, oh my God, Chelsea, this dude beat me in 23 seconds. He beat me, he beat the tar out of me. But it's okay. And I took my helmet off that second fight and said, hey, that's what it's about, man. Some days you're going to get up. Some days you're going to win. Some days you're going to lose. But you got to get up and keep fighting every single day. You got to put in the work, man. Life, if life were easy, if it were easy to excel and take your, take your craft to a next level, then everybody would be doing it. And the competition would be that much harder. But in a way, think about it like this. Because so many people are not willing to put in the work, that gives you more opportunity to excel at what you do, to become the best that you can be. But don't ever compare yourself to those people. Set the ruler higher than that. Listen, I'm over here laughing because one, when you were like, Chelsea, I'm 45. I'm like, I know that. I did the math. But the fact of the matter is I've seen you, okay? You are fit. But you touched on so many things in that that I think is important for us as coaches, us as leaders, these students, these athletes that are listening to you and that will listen to you is that you touched on the fact that everybody's not going to put in the work. And so when we're tired, when that competition gets heavy, you know, I tell my girls all the time, while they're sleeping, we're working. And I promise you that gap is going to continue to grow, right? The other thing you touched on is not being afraid of competition, right? We can look at the naked eye. It seems that that opponent that we're facing or that obstacle in life is something that's, you know, I can't surmount upon. But the fact of the matter is, in pretty much looked at it dead in the face and said, let's go. And that's one of the things that you talked about in your journey and as you learned, and you're right, I am going to talk about Mr. Jackson, uh, because I feel that everybody needs a Carlos in their lives. And the reason why I said that is just because not to give it away for people that want to read, you know, the very 
comment and life example he gave you about the frogs, but for other reasons about giving you those life examples to not basically be your yes men. We talk a lot of times on this platform about having no men in your life. Who sits at the seats of your table? Is everybody just applauding you right, wrong, or indifferent? Or do you have people in your lives like, let me check you real quick because you are off balance. And that's Carlos. But then there was Mr. Jackson, right? There's a bunch of Mr. Jacksons in my life, you know, the, the mentor, the one that pretty much has been through things and now wants to help you, one, not go through them, but B, if you do, take the blunt edge off. And Mr. Jackson told you, one, you're going to have some fights. You're not going to win them all, but you better fight every one of them. And even though, yes, that was in your time in prison, that holds true so much to our lives with these young people and even us today. Life is going to give you some fights but if you walk away you one won't be strengthened two you don't know if you're gonna win I said so that was one but two this coffee bean this coffee bean and I'm telling you I wish you could have seen me when I read it because I am that coach that gives people life lessons and that one I had never heard so can you take a moment to just talk about Mr. Jackson and one what he did and how that pivotal force he was for you of course with that new life of transitioning into prison and to talk to him about that coffee bean lesson. Yeah, no, that's, you look, I think that I'll use I statements in my life. God has never just reached down and said, Hey, Damon, you're healed. Put his hand on my head. said, Damon, you're healed. Go on, you know, go on and sin no more. That's never happened in my life, man. What God's done in my life, God put people in my life, put people on the path of life. When I was younger, these people were coaches. They were teachers, you know, they were my parents. They were other family members people that could help me out, give me life lessons and guide me. And when I got older, there were people that came in my life. And, and if you read the book, you'll see that I wasn't even receptive to those people. But when I got into a situation like, you know, getting in Dallas County Jail and getting sentenced to life in prison, I became a receptive audience. It's amazing how that'll focus your mind, right? So I'm in Dallas County Jail and I run into this guy in my cell and it's, it's an older black guy. And I don't even know his real name. I call him Mr. Jackson. He was a Muslim guy. And he went by the name Muhammad. You know, a lot of these guys, when they go to prison, they, they convert to Islam, they give up what's called their government name. My government name is Damon West. So think about Cassius Clay goes to prison and becomes Muhammad Ali. Same story here with this guy. This guy's name was Muhammad. But I call him Mr. Jackson for one simple reason. I live in the South. My presentation started in the, in the South. And I thought to myself, if I want to go out and give this coffee bean lesson, this, this great story, this, this allegory that can change lives, I don't want the messenger to kill the message. I'm in the South, y'all. And I'm not saying the South is not capable of hearing a message. If I say, hey, Muhammad told me this and Muhammad told me that. But I figure, why not just err on the side of caution and just call this dude Mr. Jackson? So Mr. <laughs> Jackson it is. So Mr. Jackson. So this guy, look, he's probably in his 60s. Jackson never told me his age. And I'm not in an environment where you want to ask people a lot of personal questions. Never told me his age. I know that he was a career criminal, been in and out of prison all of his life, four or five times. But it was the most positive guy I've ever met in my life. And I'm giving you the description of Jackson to let you know that at 33 years old, a white middle-class guy in the criminal justice system for the first time, Jackson and I have nothing in common except the fact that we're both human beings and we're both inside of Dallas County Jail. His whole life story is so antithetical to what mine is, but here we are. We've been evened out in the criminal justice system. Because as Jackson even said, he said, you got the black treatment. Whenever I got, I went to trial and got a life sentence for my first offense. So here we are in Dallas County Jail. And Jackson's telling me one day, because my mom, after the trial, my mom tells me, she's like, you know, my parents get five minutes with me after, they just sentenced me to life in prison. My mom and dad are there. And by the way, my mom and dad have been married 52 years. I mean, so I, like I said, I didn't come from a broken home. And so my mom, after the trial, you know, my mom and dad are talking to me. They're behind this bulletproof glass. And she said, baby, she said, debts in life demand to be paid. She said, you just got hit with one hell of a bill from the state of Texas. She said, but you did the things they said you did at that trial, Damon. So you have to go and pay that debt to society. She said, but you owe your father and I a debt too. She said, Damon, we gave you all the opportunity, love and support to be anything you want to be in life. And, and that's how you repay us. What we saw in that courtroom, she said, that won't work. She said, so here's the debt you're going to have to pay to us. When you go to prison, you will not get in one of these white hate groups, one of these Aryan Brotherhood type gangs because you're scared because you're the minority in there. She says, it's not going to work, Damon. You were never racist, you race, and you're not going to start now. She said, you will not get any tattoos while you're inside that prison. And y'all, and I show people my sleeves all the time. 
man, I was in prison for almost 10 years, man, 10 years from, from, you know, from they got arrested till November 16, 2015. And I was in there the whole time. These guys want to tattoo every inch of your body. And, and Chelsea, anytime these guys come up and say, Hey, Wes, man, we put a tattoo on you. I'd be like, dude, I can't do it, man. My mom said, no. Cause my mom told me that day. She said, Damon, no gangs, no tattoos. She said, you come back as the man we raised or don't come back at all. Now you talk about putting in some work, Chelsea. This is a, this is an order from my mom that it's like, you know, how am I going to do this? But I tell my mom, okay, I got it. You know, she said, do you understand this debt you're going to pay us? Yeah, mom, I got it. But what do I know about prison? And I'm a white middle-class guy in America. What do, what do I know about the penitentiary system, right? So I get back to my pod in Dallas County Jail and I'm asking all these guys that had been to prison before, you know, how am I going to survive? What am I going to do? And every guy I talk to, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, they tell me the same thing, man. You got to get into a gang, fool. You can't survive without a gang. They tell me that lie. They tell people all the time, the gang is your family. The gang will care for you. All lies, right? So there was Mr. Jackson, the only guy in a pod with 60, 64, 64 men in it. Mr. Jackson was the only one that was different. He had a smile on his face all the time. So one morning he comes up, got a cup of coffee in his hand and a smile on his face. He said, West, man, I've been watching how you're dealing with these knuckleheads and these dummies. Talk about you got to get into a gang. He said, do not listen to these fools. He said, but let me, let me tell you what prison's going to be like. He said, let me lace you up. So he said, the first thing you need to understand about prison is prison's all about race. He said, race runs the entire disgusting institution. He said, and because it's about race, he said, when you walk into prison, there's going to be a TV set. And in front of those TV, the TV set's going to be rows of benches. He said, now that first row, don't sit on that row. That's for the blacks. That's our row. He said, you'll get your head smashed in. You try to sit on that row. He said, then the second row, that's for the Hispanics. He said, don't sit in that row. They'll smash your head in too. He said, but the third row, if there's a third row, well, that's where the white folks sit. He said, if there's no third row, white folks sit on the floor. He said, that's just the way the numbers work. The blacks have the numbers in prison and the whites don't. It's opposite of the free world. He said, so don't get into a wreck over race. And he said, and because it's about race, he said, when you walk in the door, the white gangs get the first dips on you. The Aryan Brotherhood, the Aryan Circle, the White Knights, the Woods. He's naming all the white prison gangs off. My head is spinning, y'all. He said, you have to fight them all, man. And he said, if you survive all that and you don't give in to their ideology of hate, out of fear. Ladies and gentlemen, fear will make us do some crazy things in life. It'll make you make choices in life that are antithetical to the betterment of your life and the lives of other people. And that's what he's saying. Don't give in to their ideology of hate out of fear. He said, but when you do that, get ready. Because now the black gangs are coming after you. They're going to send the black gangs after you. The black gangs, huh, they're going to be happy to tee off an independent white guy that won't get with his own kind. The Crips, the Bloods, Gangster Disciples, Mandingo Warriors. He said, you're fighting them all. He said, but if you survive all that and you can survive all that, you will earn the right to walk alone. And that's when he told me, you don't have to win all your fights, but you do have to fight all your fights. And Chelsea, I'm telling you, man, when he's telling me this, I'm like a deer in headlights and he can see that he's losing me. And he stopped. He says, Wes, hang on a second. He said, let me, let me, let me break it down for you another way. He said, I want you to imagine prison as a pot of boiling water. He said, anything we put in this pot of boiling water is going to be changed by the heat and the pressure inside that pot. And he said, now I'm going to put three things in that pot of boiling water. And watch how they change. A carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean. So he said, first things first. He said, if I put a carrot in that pot of boiling water we call prison, he said, what happens to the carrot? I said, well, it turns soft. He said, that's right. He said, the carrot goes into the water hard, but the water, the prison, changes that carrot. Turns him soft and mushy and weak. He said, the carrot got beat. He got robbed. And he may have gotten raped and he may have gotten killed. He said, you don't want to be the carrot in prison. He said, what about the egg, Wes? What happens to the egg in the pot of boiling water? And I said, you know, a little bit more confidently. I was like, okay, the egg turns hard, like a hard-boiled egg, Mr. Jackson. He said, that's right. He said, the egg is a shell that protects it physically, but inside that shell, that soft liquid core, his heart becomes hardened. He said, if your heart becomes hardened, you're incapable of giving or receiving love. He said, if you're incapable of giving or receiving love, you have become institutionalized. And you will not come back as someone your parents recognize because your eggshell will have swastikas tattooed all over it. And he said, what about that coffee bean? And I had no clue, y'all. I, I didn't know what happened to a coffee bean in boiling water. And that's what Mr. Jackson told me. He said, if I put a coffee bean in that same pot of boiling water we call prison, he said, now you have to change the name of the water to coffee. Because he said the coffee bean, the smallest of these three things, had the power to change the entire atmosphere inside that pot because the power was inside the coffee bean, just like the power is inside of you.
He said everybody in life puts out energy, negative or positive. And he said, whatever kind of energy you put out, you attract back. And that's what he told me. You will either infect the rooms you go into with your negativity or you'll affect them with your positivity. And the last thing Mr. Jackson told me before I was getting on that prison bus to be shipped off to the Texas Department of Criminal Justice to go serve my life sentence, Mr. Jackson looked at me and he said, West, go out there and go be a coffee bean. Be a coffee bean, Chelsea. I mean, this old man, this old crazy old man was shooting me straight, man. He was telling me, this man was telling me that the power was inside me. And if the power is inside me, then the power is not in the hands of the criminal justice system. The power is not in the hands of the guards, the other inmates. The power is inside me. And if the power is inside me, truly inside me, that means no matter what kind of environment I'm in, that I can change that environment and I can not only survive, but I'll thrive in any environment. And I got my chance to figure it out because the coffee bean saved my life when I got to prison. Prison is the hardest thing I've ever been through. But you know, here's an interesting piece to, to the Mr. Jackson story. So right now I'm working with another screenwriter. Uh, Lionsgate Film has the, the movie rights to it, but Jackson is going to probably be the lead role in the entire movie. We're going to have Jackson narrate. Nice. Oh yeah, it's going to be good. I mean, it's, and I, and I think, you know, my buddy, he's got a real close connection to Dave Chappelle. And so oh, I think that stop it. there's a lot of social justice themes throughout this thing. And that really lines up with what Chappelle, where he's always been. Chappelle's always talked about social justice stuff. He did it. Absolutely. Comedy. It would fly over a lot of white people's heads, but he wasn't joking. He was being serious. And so <laughs> my buddy has got a friend that's really close friends with Chappelle. So he's like, man, look, Mr. Jackson and Chappelle are the same guy. So that's who we're going after to play the lead role. Y'all heard it here first. I'm telling you. Yeah. Now, see, now I'm excited, right? I love Chappelle and I knowing and hearing, you know, because I put a visual picture of Mr. Jackson. I'm just saying that. Like when I heard what he was instructing you, I was listening. I just could visualize the way you looked when he was instructing you of these things. Um, because like you said, you know, God has done me the same way. He's placed people in my life that I call my villagers that, you know, takes village to raise a child. And even when I'm an adult, I still pay attention to those people and what they tell me. And I think that's one of the, the largest part of young people and people who still haven't gotten it right, no matter the age. They have a problem with adhering and listening to people that are trying to instruct them to do better things, right? And here we are, Mr. Jackson was it, you're in the same place that was your lowest point, right? And I'm about to make a point here because I know that there are young people listening. The hardest part about this generation, and sometimes even our peers, is that even when we try to instruct them on things that can help them, some reason they still want to do it their way, right? One of the biggest things that Mr. Jackson told you was that the change starts inside of you. And that was the added element that was different from me, different from A, how I've instructed it to any young child that I've taught, any young lady that I've coached. It was different because no matter what we do, exactly what you said, what happens to the egg in the water, most of us say, well, it gets hard. Yeah, that's what we want. But really, is that what we want? Because if you get hard, Nothing comes out and also nothing comes in. And when you said that, that that change happens from on the inside of us, it made so much sense to me when he moved to the coffee bean. So that being said, there was another thing. One, I laughed so hard, but it just showed the point of how much you respected your mother, that a person would go into the hardest place of their life, but be able to tell other uh, cellmates, hey, my mom said I can't, so I can't, <laughs> right? We can't do that. You got young people that will fall into peer pressure, but you knew what your mom expected of you. She said something that was really big to you before you actually uh, got a sentence. She said to you, Damon, I need you to ride God's back. Yeah. I took a pause when she said that line because I've heard it a lot of ways. I've heard people say, lean on God, you know, lean on faith, all these things. But she said, I need you to ride God's back. And at the hardest moment of your life, that was the... Uh, that I believe that was the defining moment that helped you make it, make it through those seven years and so-and-so months and days. When your mom told you to ride God's back, talking to people that are listening, what did that mean for you then? And how do you feel that played a role to where you are now in 2020? You know, what she was talking, it's a very good question, Chelsea. So what she was talking about was that, that uh, Plaque. She had prayer plaques and crosses over the house. My mom, you can't escape God in my mom's house. She's still got them to this day. She had crosses <laughs> everywhere. I mean, 
Some of y'all may have moms like that. Some of you may be a mom like that, but that's me. my mom, right? So, um, you know, my mom was telling me in Dallas County Jail, she said, do you remember that prayer plaque that I had in your wall as a kid growing up? And, and man, my brain is fried at this point. Right? It doesn't work the way it does now because I'd been on meth for four years and I couldn't remember the prayer plaque that was on the wall when I grew up, where I grew up on Roanoke Street in Port Arthur all those years. And so my mom reminded me it was footprints in the sand. And she said, do you remember the story of footprints in the sand? And so I was like, mom, I don't. I don't even know what you're talking about. So she patiently, like a mother and lovingly, retold me the story of footprints in the sand about a guy walking on the beach with God. And she said, they're walking on the beach and they're watching a video of his life play out of the sky. She said, every time in that video of his life, every time something good happens, the guy sees two sets of footprints walking side by side. But every time something bad happened, when there was pain, there was hurt, there was suffering, there was loss, when he loses football career in college, you know, the guy saw one set of footprints. And, she, you know, Chelsea, finally the guy calls God out. He says, hey, God, what's up, man? Every time something good in my life happens, dude, I see you walking with me, man. But even when the bad stuff happens, man, you abandoned me, man. I see one set of footprints. And, and she said that's when God laughed and said, man, Damon, you fool, man. Every time, every time you saw one set of footprints, I didn't abandon you. I carried you. Boy started screaming like a coach. She said, Damon, Damon, look down that jail cell right now. She said, baby, get on God's back. I don't want to lose my son. But the point of the story is that in my life, in my addiction, all these years growing up, I'd never accepted responsibility for my behaviors. I'd never accepted responsibility for what Damon's role is in every situation. And I've learned since then because you know, God gave me a powerful lesson, which was a life sentence in prison, but he put people in my life to help me get to this thing. It's not like, you, it's like that riddle, you know, how do you eat an elephant? You know, and the answer is one bite at a time. And getting the 65 year sentence, that's an elephant, you know, how are you going to eat this elephant? But it's one bite at a time, one day at a time. And when I got into recovery in prison, I got into an AA group. And, and I feel that every addict that's, right. That's an addict out there. It needs some kind of program of recovery. Mine happens to be an AA 12-step program. But I learned about, you know, the first, the first step of the 12 steps is that, you know, you admitted you were powerless over drugs and alcohol and that your life had become unmanageable. There's really two parts to the first step, you know, admitting you're powerless. That's a big thing because when you admit you're powerless, then you're giving up control, which for an addict, that's a big thing. For most people, that's a big thing. But it's that second part that really got people hung up a lot that I saw in addiction, in prison and out of prison, is that your life had become unmanageable. You know, I would come back, Chelsea, from these AA meetings in prison, and I'd see these guys in the day room, and I'm like, hey, man, I'm telling them about this stuff that I'm learning in AA. But they're telling me, yeah, I can see where I'm powerless, but I don't think my life is unmanageable. I'm like, dude, man, you're sitting in a maximum security prison with a white uniform on. You're waiting for a guard to tell you when you take a crap when you can't. When you go to take a shower, when you go out to eat, whatever, whatever, whatever you want to do, someone's got to decide for you. That's the height of unmanageability, right? But sometimes we're sitting in an unmanageable situation, but because we haven't surrendered yet, we still think we have control. And that's what really floors me. That's what's dangerous, I think. That's why, you know, I see so many people out here in the free world that are locked up. In fact, I see more people out here in the free world that are locked up than I ever did when I was in prison, Chelsea. Because more people are in prison by their thoughts and by their things than by steel bars and barbed wire and concrete. You can take that to the bank. And that's coming from a guy that lived in prison for 10 years almost. And then, or the guy that today you see in front of you that I, I'm a criminal justice professor. I went back to school and got my master's in criminal justice. And I'm a professor at the University of Houston now. I, I teach a class, Chelsea, called Prisons in America. I mean, what world does that help happen in? I mean, I was in a prison in America five years ago serving life. But today, I teach the next generation of criminal justice practitioners the realities of prison America. But I can tell you with authority now what the toughest prison in this country is. The hardest place to do time in this country is that prison in your mind. I meet more people that are locked up than I ever did when I was in prison. And that's, that's the thing about it. When you won't allow God to do what God's going to do, you know, it's like I went down to this ch that chapel lady. You know, you read in the book about the, you know, I thought about killing myself and I go down to the chapel this little old lady in there named Miss D. Doucet. She's in her 80s, little bitty old woman, but tough as nails. And I'm telling her, Miss D, I can't do this anymore. I'm thinking about killing myself. And she says, you can't do that. You can't, you can't just, you know, you can't just give up on God. And I'm like, God, what are you talking about God for? What do you mean God? How can God create a place so wicked and evil and sinister as prison? And she cuts me off. She's like, Damon, you're not unique. You're, 
you know, you questioning God, that's not unique. She said the Bible's full of people that question God, but they always came back to God because they learned what the secret to faith was. And I was like, Ms. D, I'm drowning over here. What is the secret to faith? And she broke it down to me that day. Here it is. She said, if you're going to pray, don't worry. But if you're going to worry, don't pray. She said, you can't have it both ways. You're either going to let God drive that car or you're going to drive the car. She said, but the last time you drove it, you parked it inside of a maximum security prison. So choose, but choose wisely who gets those keys. And that's what the whole thing is. Even the metaphor of God driving the car, it's, it's letting God, you know, letting God guide you through life. Get on God's back. Let God do his thing. I mean, really, the four things you control are really between your ears, you know. So let God carry you through life and you work on what you think, what you say, what you feel and what you do. That's what's on your line every day. Let God have his line. So powerful. I, I'm like sitting here just sponging it up because me, it's almost like when you watch a movie and then they have the cast come out to talk about it, right? <laughs> that's <laughs> that's cool. That makes you feel good. <laughs> yeah. And even down to Miss D, I have some Miss D's in my life. You know, you come and you point it out and it's like, I'm not trying to hear you. You don't understand. It's like, no, baby. Like, I could just hear her voice. No, baby, Damon, listen yeah, to no. me. Just hear it, you know? And and, and I, I thought about my grandmother. I thought about my, my mom and, you know, my godmothers in my life. And it's like, baby, if you're going to pray, don't worry. If you're going to worry, don't pray. Like, and it's... Right. I read that. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, yes. Yeah, so I could really see that. But I, I love the part where, you know, she told you the last time you drove, look where you parked. Yeah. Yeah. I, my driver's license has been revoked in life. Not my driver's license for my car, but my driver's license on the highway of life, you know? Yeah. So I drive the car today. I like that. I don't think I ever heard it that way. I like it. He can have mine too. I don't like driving right. anyway. <laughs> All of our driver's license has been revoked. Some of us just don't know it yet. You know? There we go. Come so, on now. Um, Listen, I love that. That's big. Um, I try my best. I'm gonna, see, I'm doing good, y'all, because typically I will run away with this. And I do have um, a couple more, but I'm going to give an opportunity for anybody who has a question or a comment or anything like that. I know uh, I know for a fact there's uh, one coach and really a friend of mine who is on here today that was probably more excited than I was. Um, so I'm just going to give a moment. If anybody has anything to say to Damon, now is your time to do so. I'll hop in. <laughs> Hey, there she so is. What's up, Kendra? <laughs> What's up? I I finished at two a.m. this morning. Oh so, my god! Yes, I had. I've I've been so excited. I've been texting Chelsea daily, and um, hold on, babe. Okay, I love you too, baby. And um, sorry, I have a two-year-old. It's okay. I had, I had the internet going at one part of this, so we're good. Yeah. I'm, I'm so excited. And I think one of the things I'm also a life coach. So I coach college basketball and I'm a life coach and a mental performance coach. And, um, I've heard a lot of the things you said, but just like Chelsea, one of the things that got me was when Ray at your AA meeting drew the line across the board, changed my life, drew the line across the board and erased that little piece. I had, I've gone back and I've read it three times and I oh, even wow. sent it to my brother yesterday he's a firefighter and he said you know what like COVID at the station that he's currently at hold on baby K at the station that he's currently at he's filling in because he's a rover he's filling in because they're out with COVID and so he's worried because he has three kids at home one's a five-month-old six-month-old and so he's like I don't want to take this back to my kids and he hasn't even shown any worry before then and I said you know what that's on God's line. I, I sent him a picture and I said, oh, forgive me because I'm like, I, I don't know if that's copyright plagiarized. No, you're good. No. <laughs> I sent him the picture of those two pages and I said, those are on God's line. Like COVID is on God's line. Leave it alone. Don't touch it. Just pray about it and give it to him. And I'm telling you that by itself has just been absolutely amazing. It's gone through my head probably every single hour of every single day. But one of the other things, I'm like, Chelsea, I won't take over the entire thing, I promise. One of the other things is- Go on, girl. <laughs> just coming in after reading the book and being able, cause I was like, I don't know what he's gonna talk about. Is it gonna be anything new? Am I gonna get out of it? I'm already on like three pages of notes and I'm like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And just the way that you tell things, the way that you come across, I'm absolutely so blessed. And again, I know that this is God. It's a God thing, right? 
sure, it's a government put it in this place that put it put the book in front of me that did all of this and I'm just so excited and so blessed to just even have an opportunity to talk to you and hear you speak even more about it so I appreciate it I thank you for everything that you're doing Kendra you made my day thank you so much I mean you're and you're I mean you're one of the reasons why I wrote the book then if I could have that kind of impact on somebody's life with the stuff I learned inside that place yeah it's a God thing because look I've never written a book before. The Change Age is the first time I ever sat down and tried to write anything. Uh, God has blessed me with the ability to articulate through the written word and through the verbal word the experiences that I've had and, and the people that have helped me along the way. That's a God thing. I've no, no one's ever taught me how to do any of this stuff. So you got to wonder, where does it come from? Well, it's easy. It's God. I mean, but you have to be receptive to that. And that's the thing. I mean, it's so, so many times in life, I think that we're... You know, when people say, Kendra, that, that they had a sixth sense, like something told them, don't go around that corner or, or, or don't, you know, don't go down that hallway or something, you know, they had a sixth sense and something would have happened bad to them. That's not just a sixth sense. That's God, you know, and that's a God wave. That God wave goes on and you can tap into that thing, but you've got to be open to that. You've got to have a clear mind, clear conscience and a serenity in your life. And, and part of, you know, tap in, to God's wave is allowing God to do his thing, staying off of his line, you know, then you're able to see those kind of things when they open up because you're not busy and distracted with things you don't control. And that's why that, that not on my line thing was so powerful for me when I learned it and to this day. I mean, it, it changed my mindset in prison. And, and even to this day, you know, Kendra, I'll ask, I'll remind myself many times a day, damn, that's not on your line. That's not, it's like, you know, with coronavirus, the CDC, the white house, the, the World Health Organization, none of them have called me and said, hey, Damon, how do we fix this? I know how to fix it, but they're not calling me, you know? So obviously the coronavirus isn't on my line, but how I respond to it is on my line. So thank you for Thank you for sharing that. I, I, I truly appreciate it. Like I said, I could go on for days too, because it's, it's just been amazing. And I think the other thing, the, this will be the last thing I say. <laughs> I think the other thing that really hit home and that I've really started to implement is like you said, just giving it to God. But then you're like, the one thing you really pray for now is basically show you what he wants you to do for him. Right. And, and be able to basically have the wisdom to see it when he does show right. you. And that's one of the things I'll just give you this from yesterday is like, I prayed that prayer yesterday and I was at, you said like the sixth sense, right? But it's really God. I was at Walmart and I was paying or I was waiting in line behind a woman and I'm not even paying attention to anything she's doing, not paying attention. And all of a sudden it, it was placed on my heart that you're going to need to help her pay, not even paying attention. Wow. And I'm just like, so then I start watching. Cause I'm like, cause it's, it's kind of like, is that true? Or is that where, where did that come from? You know? And, and sure enough, what she's paying for, she has to put some stuff back. And so before, cause I'm like, then it's that disobedience that even coach Chelsea says sometimes is even when we try to disobey and it's like, we try to not do it. Then it's like, no, 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 this is what it is. And so it was like, I, pull, I helped him pull her, pull it back out and said, no, let's go ahead and get those. And in me, like, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. It's not like I have all kinds of money to just sit there and pay for it, but I'm like, that's a God thing. And that's sure. something that even in that book, giving me that chance to just be still and listen and even have that and say, and show me it when it's there, because we could have easily, I could have easily said, no, I'm not doing that. I only have this amount and no, and that's nothing and move on. And just being even aware enough to see that. So, okay, I'm done. <laughs> oh, Kendra, that, that's important. What you said is important. And that's where I learned how to pray in there. And I don't ask God for a bunch of things I think I want or need because I trust that, if, you know, if I say, hey, God, put in front of me what you need me to do today for you and let me recognize it when I see it. Because, you know, so many, God's putting stuff in front of a lot of people all the time. They just don't see it, but you're tapped into it. You're seeing it when you're saying, hey, man, look, I'm going to keep looking for this. And the, tr the transaction is this. You hate to say a transaction with a prayer, but this is the transaction. Everything in life is about transactions, right? So here's the transaction. I trust that if I take care of what God needs me to do for him, takes care of, because that's the way God works. God doesn't just reach down. And like I said, he doesn't reach down and put his hands on people's heads. That's not how I've seen it work. God works through people, put people in. My, so you're going to be a person that you're going to, that God's going to put in someone else's life, but you got to be able to, see, but the thing is this, I, I got to trust that if I take care of what God needs me to do for him today, 
that he's going to take care of my needs too. Not my wants, but my needs, my needs. And I've seen this play out in my own life over and over. And it's like the fact that you picked up on that, you're ahead of the game. You know, Kendra, not everybody, not everybody realizes that, but that's, that's like the secret, that's like the, the secret to prayer for me is just, Hey, get outside because I used to pray for all this stuff that, you know, I need this, I need that. I need, you know, but man, that's not, God's not in the business. It's like when people pray for their sports team to win, you know, like they're watching these people in Texas, watching the Cowboys play and they pray to God, oh, man, God, please let the Cowboys win. Obviously God's not in the business of that because the Cowboys don't win anything, you know? <laughs> so that's not what it's about. It's about, you know, praying to be present in the lives of other people. You know, I tell people all the time that your, your past is your lesson. And that's what it, your past is good because you can learn from it and teach others with it. The present is a gift. And that's not a gift for you, though. The present Today is a gift for what you can do for other people. How much can you pack into the stream of life for other people? Did you find someone to help out today? You know, where was your head today? And that's the future is your motivation. And it's the motivation to get up and be that servant leader. The name of this podcast, Servant Leader. That was I just thank you so much. Thank you. No, I thank you, Kendra. Thank you. You good, Kendra? You sure? Kendra helped me because that actually was going to be one of my questions. So she helped me out. I was smiling because I'm like, see, boom, it was done. Good. Uh, and Kendra also, she maybe it was she was tapping into her own. She has her own podcast as well. So, but she and I had had done a lot of talking this week about you know all of those things. So many nuggets within that book. So many things that are transferable for. Uh, the ages and that's why when I saw you are coming out with a coffee bean for the little babies I was like oh my goodness this is perfect but that's Bam. just yeah, I know <laughs> look at it but coffee bean for so kids. what's so cool about this too is so John you know this is one of those things of finding the opportunity of adversity you know coronavirus is happening I'm like hey John you know let's write a book the coffee bean for kids and he had other books going on he's like Damon we'll do it but you got to do most of it he said I got a lot of stuff going on write it how we want to write it so the main character is a little Hispanic boy. And this other little girl named Clara, that's my stepdaughter, actually. So that's what her But their friends, sir, I wanted this book to be something that all kids could see themselves in, you know, and I wanted this book to look like America. So, you know, when you go into a school in America, you'll see kids of different races, different groups. But here's a kid that has, uh, he's autistic. You have an autistic little kid in there. And then Clara invites Gavin Gavin's the main character, the little Hispanic boy. Clara invites Gavin to go eat lunch at her table. And that's her friend circle. You know, there's a little Asian boy named Peter, a little black girl named Maya, after Maya Angelou. And then there's a little oh. girl from India named Priya, you know, from, from the nation of India, from, you know, the country of India. And I mean, there's even kids in wheelchairs in here. I mean, but they're all, you know, they're all forming their little coffee bean, their coffee bean club at school. I love it's, it. The kids. Look at Maya's curl. Look at that. Boom. Natural. So, let's go. It's natural. Let's go. So, but the, the whole point was that I wanted to make something that kids could use because I think that, you know, if we could have everybody living the coffee bean kind of lifestyle, like they have the ability to change the environment around them and they don't have to be changed by their environment, uh, then we'd be a lot better off. And, and frankly, adults are failing this right now. I mean, if, if, if we had kids that are acting like some adults are acting right now with some of the stuff going on in this country, you know, I mean, we teach kids better values and morals about competition than what you're seeing from a lot of people right now. It's sad, man. It's, it's, a, it's like, man, kids are watching this stuff man. they're watching right. these people fall around. It, it just, but anyway, that's a whole nother conversation for another time. But, but, but I think it was perfect because I tell people all the time, there's so many, we spend so much time in the foundation of building young people uh, only to become, have an adult body and change to just not care. And so I think that book is important because you literally, I told you, you helped check some things off of my Christmas list for, you know, my nieces, nephews, godchildren. I'm telling you, it was perfect because that is truly the conversation that as a parent, as an auntie, uncle, leader, coach, whoever that you're trying to bring across, that everything is everything and everybody is represented in that book. It's yeah. a representation you're going to meet in this life. And I don't care what you look like. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what, you know, inhibitions you may have in life, what special needs you may have in life, whatever the case may be. If God made you and you're beautiful to him, you're enough for him, you're enough for me. And, Boy, and that's one of the things that I talk about too. I mean, 
look, I mean, I alluded to this earlier. I talk about, about race all the time. I talk about racism. Jim Rome called me up this summer and Jim was like, hey, look, I want to do a podcast with you. And I said, Jim, that's great. I'd like to do your podcast. In fact, I want to use your platform to talk about racism in America. This is in you know, early July. This is, you know, six weeks after George Floyd was murdered. And he's like, man, no white man in America wants to talk about race right now. What do you want to say? And so I told him, and he was like, we got to do this podcast. And ever since that, ever since then, you know, people have been like, hey, man, will you come into our group, our team, our company, our organization, and share that same message? And the message is this. So I'm walking out of prison, and I've got, you know, I've got a mattress, and i got a couple of bags of property, and I, I see the gate. I'm ready to go, y'all. I'm ready to get out of this prison. I'm ready to go. But coming down the sidewalk is one of my favorite cellmates, one of these other people that God put in my life, a guy named Sabor, black guy from Dallas, man. We're the same age right now. We're 45 Sabor is going to be in prison for a long time. This guy's like my brother, man. In fact, I put money on Sabor's books every month. I take phone calls from him, you know. Sabor is like my brother. And he's coming down the sidewalk and he gives me this big hug. It's very emotional. He's like, Damon, I'm so happy for you. I'm so excited for you and your family. He said, but I got to ask you something, Damon. He said, and I was like, what? Man, Sabor asked me anything. He said, when you get out of here, when you leave prison, are you going to talk about the stuff we you talked about in here, the stuff you saw inside this place. Now, what Sabor wants to know, am I going to talk about the stuff we used to talk about in 45 cell in that little 10 by 12 at night when we talk about, you know, racism, disparities in the system, social justice. We had these wonderful in-depth conversations and, and I learned a lot because I listened to Sabor. He wants to know, am I going to talk about that? Am I going to keep it 100? Am I going to keep it real? You know? And I looked at him, I said, Sabor, man, look, you know me, man. When I get on my feet, you know, I will. And what Sabor said to me that day, Chelsea, what he said to me became a call to action in my life because his, his words hit me right between the eyes when he said, good. Sometimes they lock up the right guy. You know, sometimes they lock up the right guy. Man, you talk, it, it, it was so deep for me because, you know, I feel like I am that right guy. And the, the, the reason why you know, I get to go in there in these rooms around America right now and get on TV and radio and talk about this is that racism, you got to start off with definitions. Racism is about an imbalance of power. And in order for racism to exist, one race has to have more power than another race. So much power that they can write laws to affect the way those, those other races live. Like they can change where you live or affect where you go to school, what kind of schools you go to. And in America, whites have that power. Whites have always had that power in America. That's why it's very difficult for a white person in America to say they understand racism because white people have never experienced racism. You know, it's, it's impossible to experience something that you, that you can't be on the other side of. Now, it, when a white friend comes up and tells me, hey, David, you know, no, you're wrong. That, that person of color was racist towards me. I'm like, no, I check them because we're going to check people when they're wrong. I check them and I tell them, look, definitions, let's get this right. You're not talking about racism. What you're talking about is prejudice. And prejudice, well, that just means to prejudge. That's the root word of prejudice, means to prejudge. And unfortunately, every group can be prejudiced. That's not unique to being white. Prejudice goes with every group and, and denominations and races and religions and, and all kinds of ethnicities. So there's a lot of prejudice out there. But racism, that's exclusively white. That's a white thing, you know. And so the reason why I think I'm that right guy to talk about race is that, you know, I've been in an environment as a white guy where I've you know, where I couldn't sit on a certain row of benches because of the color of my skin, or I got my face kicked in because of the color of my skin. I've been that way in prison. So I understand racism. And matter of fact, I mean, if you're a black person in America, let me tell you how much I understand it. The summer of 2020, it felt like you got to get up and actually land some punches for the first time in a long time. And that felt good, didn't it? Man, I bet it felt good. Hey, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to get up and land some punches finally. But you're never going to win just by landing a couple of punches, because what we've learned over time is that every generation of America's, Americans that have come before us has either chose to not fix this problem or just ignore it or sweep it under the rug. Now, what what do we do to change this? Because, you know, I don't like people that come in the room and just tell me, you know, everything that's wrong and they don't tell me how, how to think we fix it. I, I think what we need to do is get the facts on the table, though. We need to understand, like living in prison, you know, you go into a prison and half the population that looks back at you is black men, black men. Black men make up six and a half percent of the population in this country, y'all. But the numbers say that six and a half percent of this population is committing half the crime in this country. I don't buy that. I don't, you know why they're saying that? Because America is sick right now, y'all. Something is wrong with this country. There's not one criminal justice system in this country, y'all. There's a bunch of them. 
There's a black one. There's a white one. There's a brown one. There's a rich one. There's a poor one. Hell, there's one for cops, man. And it depends on who you are and where you fit in that spectrum is the kind of justice you can expect to receive in the United States of America. If you get caught up in these various criminal justice systems, plural, right? But what we're going to have to do to fix this, because here's my idea. I'm not going to just tell you something's wrong and not fix it. Here's how I think we fix it. Now, it's two part. One, let me tell you why white people don't get involved more with race and try to do anything. There's two reasons why they don't. One, they don't know what the hell they're talking about because they've never experienced racism. And two, they're scared to death to do it. Because what if they say the wrong thing? This cancel culture out there is real, y'all. They'll get wiped out if they say the wrong thing. The, be- the easiest, safest play for a white person to make is just stay quiet and stay on the sidelines. But here's how I think we fix it. White people, people that look like me, got to get off the sidelines. We got to get in the game. We got to get in the game with the intent to win this thing, not run the clock out so the protests and the riots stop. Get in there and say we're going to win and get shoulder to shoulder with our black and brown brothers and sisters out there and listen, man. The first play we're going to run from scrimmage is called shut up and listen because we're going to sit there and listen to what black and brown people tell us about our country because we don't view it through the same lens. Now, that's what white people need to do. Black people, black people need to invite white people into these conversations with grace. And when you invite someone into your your conversation, into your table with grace, you're saying, hey, you know what? You may not say the right thing at at first. You may not even do the right thing, but you're not gonna lose everything in the process because when you invite someone in with grace, you allow them the ability to make some mistakes along the way. But as long as someone is willing to get in there and listen and learn, invite them in with grace, get rid of this cancel culture. Because when I told you about that summer of 2020, it felt good to get up and swing some punches. You're never going to change anything that way. The summer of 2020, this is going to come and go. And it's going to happen again in a couple more years. But if you want to really affect change and you're black and you really want to affect change in America, then you've got to get white people fighting your fight with you. You've got to make your fight their fight. And the only way to do that is to draw them in in a room with grace and white people listening with both ears and being quiet and understand what's going on. Then is when we come together in America and we get together at the grassroots level and we demand the kind of change that we know our country could be. Because America is sick right now, but we live in the greatest country in the history of the world. We can be so much better than what we're being right now. And I love this country. And I know y'all do too. That's what I think we ought to do. And that's part of my platform of why I think I'm the right guy, Kelsey. Damon West. Damon West. And they wonder why, right? (laughs) Right. It's not me at all. God says move. I say, okay. And each day I'm like, I get it now, but there's so much that you said, right? Coach G, he, he hype over there. He said, wake up, Mr. West. He's with you. (laughs) And I think the best thing that you said is that we have to approach it with grace because isn't that what God gives us every day? Somebody the other day, I said, okay, you don't want to forgive them. You don't want to give them grace. Well, just imagine the next time you mess up. And we go and say, God, please forgive me. He gives us grace, even when we don't deserve it. He gives us grace. The other thing you said about your friend, you said, he says, sometimes they lock up the right guy. Isn't that amazing? Even though it's not the, as we say, physical prison, sometimes things happen in our lives and we wonder why. We wonder why God placed that obstacle in the way. We wonder why we had to endure that very thing. It's not fair. Why is me? Woe is me. But sometimes they lock up the right guy or woman, insert whatever you can, because when you go through those things, you get people like Damon West. When you go through those trials, when you go through those tests, you have testimonies like Damon West. So I am just floored. I am, oh my goodness, so thankful for your message. You are that type of person. I'm telling you, when this COVID thing is over, you're going to have to come here. We need yeah. to we may have to do a part two. We need to tap into the, you know, the basketball court when you had, you know, enough heart to get there. But we're gonna have to get you down here in Tallahassee to come, you know, whoop on my girls with me because my knee is failing me now. <laughs> That's the teaser. Today was a teaser. Give me a Tallahassee, I'll tell the rest of the story. And by then, by then, maybe we'll have Dave Chappelle up there with me. You know, hey, hey now can you imagine? You imagine what Chappelle could do with the kind of stuff I talk about. There's not another Listen. white man in America saying the stuff I'm saying. That's, hey. that's that's like right up his alley. That's what I think. I mean, I think he'd be all over this. I agree. Listen, let me tell you this. I'm, I'm a person to believe that words have power. So Damon West, Dave Chappelle, and whoever else is listening to this region, come on down to Tallahassee so we can sit some people at this Let's table and say some things. 
good, girl. Damon, oh my girl. goodness. I'm so thankful to have you on. I'm so, I'm just so proud of you and what you stand for, um, how you are that guy and an unapologetically so. You truly speak about servant leadership, but the, the biggest reason why I admire you and I appreciate you is because you don't talk the talk, you walk the walk. So I thank you so much just for your time. As I say on every show, it's the truth and to everybody, time is the one thing that we give that we cannot give back. So I thank you for spending this hour with us. I know you have empowered me. I don't care what, you know, my rebellious babies may say, I know you empowered them. You know, they try to say, be hard. Like he was okay, right? But I thank you just so much because you are reached far and wide and you continuously do that. So I thank you so much. If everybody would just bow your heads really quickly. Heavenly Father, we wanna thank you right now for what we've seen and what we've heard. We thank you so much for just being who you are. Help us to approach this life as coffee beans, Lord God, so that we don't infect negatively, but we affect positively. We ask right now, Lord God, that you help us approach people and days and things with a touch of grace, just like you give us grace. And I ask right now, Lord God, that you heal our land. Help Damon West to continue to move and touch and breathe on people to help and make them better, Lord God. Thank you for all our servant leaders, and we thank you for this platform. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.